You know, our oldest son, Alan, uh, who was up here on the stage just a minute ago, <laughs> has always had the ability to express his likes and his dislikes uh, freely, passionately, and loudly. Um, it's a really great quality. Right, Joanna? Yeah, most of the time. Most of the time. So as a kid, he met, as we all do, some people that he really uh, didn't like. <laughs> and it can be socially awkward for mom and dad, right? When your kid is letting people that he doesn't like know that he doesn't like them. So we told Alan, hey, listen, you don't have to like everybody. But Jesus says you're supposed to love everybody. So he took that information that we wanted him to apply horizontally in relationships, and he began to apply it vertically. He began to think about this deal with God. Hmm, I don't have to like everybody, but I'm supposed to love everybody. So how does that kind of work with God? And he knew instinctively, even a kid, maybe I'm supposed to love and like God. So as he closed his prayer, where most people pray, in Jesus' name, amen, he would say, and dear Lord, I love you and I like you too, amen. <laughs> I thought, that's awesome. <laughs> See, he knew that a love for Christ includes affection. You know, I not only love you, but I like you too. So I just want to ask you today a simple question. Does that describe your love for Christ? Does that describe your love for Christ? Do you love and like Him? Because see, we're in a series here at CBC called simply Love Jesus. And for the past three weekends, we've heard pastors Chad and Joe and Dale encourage us to love Jesus more. Why, why is that? Well, it's not because they want something from us. It's because they want something for us. Pastor Chad taught us that because Jesus loves us, He pursues us. And uh, if we love him, then we will pursue him back. And when we do, we're going to get a unique mission, a unique meaning, and a unique purpose for our lives. Pastor Joe taught us that if we love Jesus, we're going to obey Jesus. And when we obey Jesus, we find out his commands are not burdensome, but we find out that his commands lead to a blessedness in our lives. And then last week, Pastor Dale taught us about the supremacy of Christ. He taught us about the glory of Christ and once we see Christ for who he is, we will love him with great passion. And when we do, we get hope and we get peace. So love for Jesus is not a little deal. Love for Jesus is a big deal. And in fact, you might want to say it's the biggest deal. And the reason Pastor Chad launched this series is not because he wants something from you, because he wants something for you. Meaning, purpose, blessing. Hope, peace. And today we're going to find out that what he wants for us is joy. When we love Jesus, when we have a love for Jesus, we're going to find a joy in Jesus. So to help us with this today, I'd like you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. Fire up your apps and all that stuff. If you're online, uh, you could follow along in your Bible at home. Love Jesus. Love for Jesus produces joy in Jesus. See, our pastors aren't the only ones who want something not from you, but want something for you when it comes to loving Christ. And of course, the person that wants the most for you is Jesus himself. See, that's the heart of Christ. 
And you got to understand, he said some amazing, passionate, mind-blowing, crazy things about the level of love we ought to have for God. I mean, one of the passages, very, very famous, is Matthew chapter 22. Jesus is speaking. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul. Now, we hear that all the time. We go, okay, okay, okay. But listen, let's just, let's just look a little bit, dive a little bit deeper into this. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul. It's not like a 50-50 proposition. This is not like a 90-10 proposition. It's like, oh, I love Jesus with 90% of me, but you know that 10% over here, I don't really have to engage. No, all. And then he says something in Luke chapter 14. If anyone comes to me, Jesus talking, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life, hate his wife, children, brothers, sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I didn't make that up. He made that up. People go, what is that about? Hate? Well, we know that the Bible says a husband is not supposed to hate his wife. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, love your wife. What's he talking about here? Well, Jesus often used you know, extreme language. He spoke with hyperbole in order to make a point. And the point he's making here is that your love for me should be so great that your love for anyone or anything else feels like, seems like, hate in comparison. Well, that's stunning. I mean, he's setting the bar high. And just in case we didn't get it, listen to this one. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus talking again. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And you think, well, okay, well, I didn't have that great relationship with my mom or dad, so, you know, I, maybe I could do that one. But listen to this one. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I mean, that's an amazing passage when you see, you know, these beautiful little children up here being dedicated. It's like, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that our love for him has to exceed our love for anyone or anything else. Why would he say that? Not because he wants something from us. He's not saying that because he's lacking somehow. He's saying that because he wants something for us. Is this the kind of love that you have for Jesus? Come on, let's be real. Really? Or is there some place for you to grow to? I mean, do you love him with all your heart? I mean, the love that you have for him is so great that your love for anyone or anything else seems like hate in comparison that you love him more than you love father, mother, or son, or daughter. <laughs> Again, Jesus doesn't make these audacious claims because he wants something from us. He wants something for us. He wants us to have life. He wants us to have it abundantly. And he knows that the abundant life is only going to happen when you love him first, when you love him best, and when you love him most. Because see, if you love Jesus with the right intensity, then all of the other loves in your life will be pure, they will be right, and they will be appropriate. See, the reason we get in trouble as people is because we love some things too much, and we love other things too little. And that's when we get in trouble. If you love financial security too much, you may sacrifice your family on the altar of a career. If you love the idea of raising successful kids too much, you may pressure them and end up pushing them away. If you love pleasure or comfort too much, you're going to overspend or over 
eat and you're going to end up paying a price that you didn't want to pay. So the, the idea is like, I really need to get loving Jesus as right as is humanly possible in this life, on this side of heaven and in this fallen world. Because if I get it right, or at least approach get it right, then I can live abundantly. I can have a life filled with meaning and purpose and blessing and peace and hope. So love for Jesus. When we love Him and we like Him too, we get something. And today I want you to see that we get great, great joy. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We'll read through verse 9 and then we'll break it down. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father in heaven, I pray that you would open up your word to us so that we can see and understand and apply it to our lives and, and, and live with the joy that comes from loving you fully. So assist us now as we listen, assist me as I share, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would be free to move in this room, to speak to our hearts, and to change us as we encounter Christ today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you about the source of love, and I want to talk to you about the test of love, and I want to talk to you about the proof of love. The source of your love for Jesus, the test of your love for Jesus, and then the proof of your love for Jesus. First, the source of your love for Jesus. And, and here it is. The source of your love for Jesus is God and His mercy towards you. And this comes from verses 3 through 5. Because you see, God's love for you is on display through His mercy for you, which you can clearly see through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So I want us to look first of all at um, our past regeneration. That's a big theological word, and it simply means that you get new life in Christ. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, which is, flows from the fountain of His love, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, born again, what in the world is that about? Well, let's suppose you're in a hospital. And let's suppose that you're on your deathbed. And let's suppose that something happens to you and you actually breathe your last. And you don't know how long, but, but you wake up. And you look around you and you're touching your legs and you're touching your arms. And you see a nurse and you say, what happened? And the nurse says, well, you know what? You were gone. You died. 
But see that doctor over there? He came, and that doctor over there, I don't know what he did, but he performed some kind of a miracle, and, and we're all amazed. Now you're alive. Now don't you think you might love that doctor and like him too? Right? <laughs> well, see, the Lord has performed a greater miracle than that when you were born again spiritually. Because the Bible says about all of us, everybody in the human race, you're dead, spiritually speaking, in your trespasses and sins. You don't have spiritual life just because you're walking around alive physically. Spiritually, we're dead. But what happens is Jesus comes to us and he gives us new life. When he awakens us to see the beauty and the glory of Christ, that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead so that we could be forgiven, we put our faith and trust in him, the Holy Spirit gives us new life, the ability to believe and have faith and to trust in Christ and be forgiven. And the amazing thing about us is that one of the reasons we don't love and like Jesus is because we think somehow we're okay. We're not okay. We never were okay. But he gave us new life undeserved and now we can love him back our past regeneration is one of the reasons that we ought to love Christ and then our future glorification again a big fancy theological word but it's just talking about what verse 4 says to an inheritance you've been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is kept in heaven for you. Sometimes we just take that for granted. I, I just, hey, I'm supposed to go to heaven. You know, if someone promised you, hey, you know what, I got a home all prepared for you. And if right here in Northeast Ohio they made that kind of a promise, it's a beach home, it's February, and somebody says, I got a beach home waiting for you, uh, it even has a pool, it's spacious, I mean, every one of your family members have their own bedroom, there, there are comfortable couches and chairs, there's a gardener, there's a cook, there's a maid, all of your favorite colors, it's just waiting for you, it is yours, no strings attached. Well, why would you do this for me? No good reason, just because. I mean, do you think you might love and like that person? Well, that's what God has said for us. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. It's an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled. It won't fade. It's reserved in heaven for us. If you put your faith and trust in Christ, then that is waiting for you. And this is why we ought to love him and like him too. Not only our past regeneration and our future glorification, but, but our present protection, protection. Look at verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. A little girl stands on the sidewalk. She's ready to cross the street. She doesn't see the traffic coming. She steps off the curb into the street and a car is headed right at her. But the strong arm of her daddy grabs her on the shoulder and pulls her back onto the sidewalk to safety. She almost died, but her dad rescued her. Her dad protected her. 
And don't you think she would look up at her daddy's face and say, oh, daddy, daddy, thank you. I love you and I like you too. This is what the Lord has done for us. How many times have you been maybe one foolish decision away from a mistake that would wreck your family and wreck your future forever? And, 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 and maybe you didn't know it, but there was a strong arm from heaven that said, don't go there, I'm protecting you from that. Because I've got a home waiting for you someday. Shouldn't you love and like the one who has done that for you? In other words, this is why we ought to have this great affection for God. He gave me new life. He gave me a home in heaven. And he's protecting me every step of the way until I get there. Regeneration, glorification, protection. It's the mercy of God. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. I mean, we're getting the opposite of what we deserve. The mercy of God has come to us because of the love of God for us. It's why in 1 John 4, 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. The source of our love for him is his love for us. You know, in Luke chapter 7, you read a story of Jesus visiting in the house of a religious leader. And when Jesus showed up at the guy's house, he didn't wash the feet of Jesus as was customary in those days. He thought he was doing Jesus a favor by having him in his home. And you know what? That may be the way some of us are. It's like, you know, I'm doing Jesus a favor today. I mean, I'm in church. You should love me, Jesus, because I'm awesome. <laughs> but there was a woman who was there that day, and she had a whole different mindset. She loved Jesus. She liked him too. And what she brings is this alabaster box of perfume. And she pours it on Jesus' feet. And she's overwhelmed with this idea that Jesus would love her and forgive her and she begins to weep and she washes his feet with her hair and some people in the room found this scandalous I mean how can Jesus if he's a holy man let this sinful woman touch him and Jesus uses this as a teaching moment and he says to the religious leader to a guy like me okay he says to the religious leader hey you didn't wash my feet but she did with her tears. You didn't give me the customary kiss, but she couldn't stop kissing my feet. And you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. And then he gets to the bottom line. Luke 7, 47. I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he is forgiven little, loves little. Listen, why do we love Jesus so little? Why are we not moved by Christ? It's because we've forgotten how much he's forgiven us. Somehow we end up like the religious leader who thinks we're all that. We've been forgiven much. The pile of sin was high. And the blood of Jesus Christ has come and washed it away. We get new life. We get a home in heaven and protection along the way. Why wouldn't I love Jesus for doing that for me? Who else has done anything like that for you? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And if we get love for Jesus right, then our loves for the family that we have, that's going to get right too. And one day, we'll be together forever with Him and our families. 
I want to love someone like that. Does the evidence that I love Jesus match the evidence that he loves me? The source of our love for Jesus is God and his mercy toward us. The test of our love for Jesus is trials. Trials. Look at verse 6. He says, in this you rejoice. Okay, make me happy. How are you going to make me happy? Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been granted various trials. Trials are to make us rejoice? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen, anybody can love Jesus when life is going well. I mean, when life is working, I got the girl. I got the job. I got the raise. Everybody that I know and care about, their health is great. Jesus, I love you. Thank you. You know, that, anybody can do that. But the test of your love for Christ is when the trials come. James says it this way, Count it all joy, my brothers. When? When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, trials come for many reasons. They come sometimes to correct us. They come to direct us. But sometimes trials come to inspect us. What's in there? Trials are tests. I mean, Jesus wants to know, do you love me or do you love comfort and pleasure and a painless life? Do you love me more than that? See, because when trials come, let's, let's be honest, we're tempted to complain to Christ. We're tempted to draw away from Christ. Well, if you're going to treat me like this, then I'm out. When trials come, we can cop an attitude toward Christ. And that is a sure sign that what we really love are our comforts and our pleasures more than we love Christ himself. So when trials come, do you love Jesus still and do you like him too? You know, last week, Pastor Dale over here to my left shared with us about his brain tumor and about his surgery. And he stood right here before us, and in spite of his trial and difficulty, he said, and I wrote it down, and I even tweeted it, he said, as I face my future, I couldn't be happier. Jesus is my joy. Jesus is my peace. He is my hope. The test of our love for Christ is trials. And the proof of our love for Christ is joy. Verse 8. He says, though you have not seen him, you what? Love him. And like him too. <laughs> Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And I just want to say it very simply this way. Love for Jesus will produce joy in Jesus. 
So if I don't have joy in Jesus, it's probably because I don't have a love for Jesus. You with me? Romans 5, verse 3, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And when God's love gets poured into you, then a love for God will flow out of you to Him and to others. And when the love is right, the joy will be right. Love for Jesus produces joy in Jesus. Because our love for Christ and our joy in Christ are unequivocally connected. You know, Jesus is talking to uh, a bunch of churches in the book of Revelation, in chapters 2 and chapters 3. And one of the churches that he uh, exhorts and encourages is a church that's doing a lot of stuff right. You're doing this right. You endure under suffering and trial and hardship. I'm proud of you for that. And then he says, uh, Revelation 2 verse 4, I have this against you. Man, you're doing so much good, but I've got this against you. Well, what do you got against us? Because I thought we were doing really good. That you have abandoned the love that you had at first. And I know in this room, and it's, it's my experience, that when you can look back five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, maybe even when you first came to Christ, your love for Christ was like here, but now your love for Christ is here. You've lost your first love. And this series is designed to help us fall back in love with Christ. So what do I do when that happens? Well, he tells us, remember therefore from where you have fallen. It's like recall. Where did I used to be? Am I there now? Do I love and like Christ now as much as I used to? And then he says, repent. And then do the works you did at first. Uh, Recall, repent, and repeat. When I really loved Christ with so much passion, what was I reading in the Bible? What was I listening to? Where would I go into the metro parks and just hang out and spend time with the Lord? I mean, I don't know what you did, but do the stuff you used to do, he says. And if you don't, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. See, this loving Jesus is not a little deal. This is not like, okay, let's hurry up and get this series over and let's start the Christmas series. You know, in our front yard is a small apple tree. Uh, I bought it a few years ago from our church after we used it in a Sunday morning message here as an illustration. So I planted it in our front yard hoping to get this huge harvest of apples. So earlier this spring, I'm looking at it, and it's like loaded with blossoms. And I thought, all right, this is the year we're going to see that little tree bear, you know, maybe a dozen apples. (laughs) Could make one pie out of that tree. (laughs) But after such a promising spring, we only ended up with one apple this fall. (laughs) One. And then I'm out there, I'm ready to pick it one day, and I look up, and it's gone. I guess some deer thought he's LeBron James. He's going to go up and get the apple. Nothing. So apple blossoms are supposed to produce apples, but this little tree has struggled. Now, sadly, this can be a picture 
of what happens when people make a profession of faith in Christ. There's a difference between profession of faith and possession of faith. Many people start out, they look really promising as followers of Jesus, but the flower never turns into fruit. And what is supposed to be the fruit of a follower of Jesus? Well, we could say many, many things about the fruit. But the primary fruit that every follower of Jesus is supposed to bear is the fruit of loving God, of loving Christ. That's the first and greatest commandment, he said. Do you love Jesus? I mean, we're never going to love Christ supremely and constantly and earnestly or perfectly in this life that awaits us in heaven. But if we cannot honestly say, I love you, Jesus, and I like you too, however imperfectly, then our profession of faith is simply a blossom that never produced fruit. Do you love Jesus? You know, in your program, there's a prayer that you could pray. A prayer of returning to Christ, of coming to Christ. It's simply, dear Heavenly Father, I need your forgiveness. I've not loved others well. I've disobeyed your law. I'm not ready for eternity. I've lived in immoral ways. I believe that Jesus came to forgive me. And he died on the cross. My place for my sin he rose again. And I now want to put my faith in Christ. Save me. Change me. Help me to live new. I mean, those are not magic words. There are no magic words. But if that expresses the desire of your heart, then come to Christ and pour out your love for Him. So if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ, then pray the prayer. Check the box and say, I want to I grow in my faith. And maybe if you're here and you've already put your faith in Christ, but your love for Christ has diminished over time, would you just join me in praying like every day the rest of this month? Lord Jesus... I love you, and I like you too. You know, one of my dad's favorite songs, and it's appropriate to remember my dad on a day when as a granddad I get to dedicate my grandson. One of my dad's favorite songs starts off with the words, My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus tis now. This song was originally written as a devotional poem by a guy named William Featherston, who was a teenager who had recently come to faith in Christ. Obviously loved Christ. We don't know a whole lot about Featherston, except that when he attended a Methodist church in Montreal, he wrote the poem. Probably 16 years old. And he understood the mercy of Jesus. That, that Jesus took the initiative and caused us to be born again. Listen to the second verse. I love thee because thou hast first loved me. And purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, it's now. So he sends this, po sends this poem to an aunt in Los Angeles. And she thought, man, this needs to be published. And so somehow the poem made its way to England where it was published anonymously in the London Hymn Book. Featherston lived just a few years after he wrote the poem. He died when he was 27. And maybe he knew instinctively that death was coming soon for him because he wrote this, I, love thee, I will love thee in life and I will love thee in death. 
and praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath. And say when the death dew lies cold on my brow, if ever I loved thee, my Jesus, it's now. Adoniram Judson Gordon, guy who founded Gordon College in New England and Gordon Conwell Seminary, was compiling a hymn book and he liked Featherston's text, but he thought it needs a better tune. So in 1876, three years after Featherston died, he wrote a new tune, and it's published in a book called The Service of Song, and it's still the tune that's used today. In mansions of glory and endless delight, I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright. I'll sing with a glittering crown on my brow. If ever I loved thee, my Jesus, it's now. The poem started in Canada, made it to L.A., and then to England, back to New England, and it's being sung all around the world, and it came from the heart of a guy who says, Jesus, I love you. What can you do? to express your love for Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us be people that would get back to first things, that we would get back to the basics, that everything, meaning and purpose and blessedness and hope and peace and joy, it flows from loving you. You deserve our love. You are worthy of it. So help us even now to give it as we worship Christ together.